Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls in Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lower parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. Hey guys, Uh, we are in our last installment of our Discover series. We've been going through uh, this Discover series all through January, and that's the word for the year for us, guys, is discover. So actually, all of our series this year are going to have that word in it, so that we don't forget what we're doing this year. Uh, As we're were praying through, the the team and I, we were praying through what the Lord wanted wanted for us this year. And that word was so evident for us, that he wants us to discover some things this year. And what's, what's really cool about that is that word is already embedded into our mission and our vision statement. So it's not a brand new word in our community, right? It should be something we say all the time, discovering identity and destiny in Christ in order to influence the city and the world. It's on our website, it's on our social media, it's on everything we do really is, is discover. Uh, but we're not just discovering anything, anything random. We, we walked through the first four chapters of Nehemiah so far and focused on, first in chapter one, discovering identity, right? And, and identity in Christ, not identity in your career, not identity in your relationships, not identity in uh, your sexuality, not identity in your gender, not identity in anything else, but your identity in Christ. And Nehemiah starts to do that. Remember, Nehemiah is is not in exile, not really. Like a lot of people read this book and they think like they're in exile. Um, the people, this is post-exile. The people are free. There's people living in Jerusalem. He's chosen exile. There's a difference there. Why is that? Well, he's the cupbearer of the king. He's comfortable. It's great. He's got a cushy job. He's in the palace, right? And he's not living out his identity as, uh, 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 as he should be. And he starts to discover that in chapter 1 because people come to him 
his, his brothers, it says, they come to him and they say, uh, not his familial brothers, I don't think, it's just brothers and the people of God, they come to him and they say, Jerusalem is destroyed, the walls are burnt down, and he mourns and he cries because it, it hits something in his heart and he knows that he's misplaced his identity. So he starts to discover it throughout chapter one, then chapter two happens and we talked about destiny and discovering destiny, that's a fancy word for purpose. It's not all that fancy, um, the Bible uses that word. So, so our, our culture's kind of hijacked destiny and it's kind of been this like esoteric, abstract word, but the Bible uses the word destiny. Uh, so he's starting to discover his destiny in chapter two and that's, he, he realizes, wait a second, we're supposed to be the, uh, the light to the nations as the people of God and Jerusalem is, is supposed to be the dwelling place for our God, right? The temple is, is, is there. And, and so I need to do something to live out my destiny. And that was two weeks ago we talked about what that looks like. We talked about how Nehemiah, um, he owns his destiny. He, he prays into his destiny. He acts on his destiny. He shares his destiny with others. And then he perseveres in it because it's not easy to live out your destiny. And we talked about how for us, and those of you guys who have been around for a while, you're going to get tired of hearing me saying this, but everyone's identity in Christ is the same. Yeah. Your identity in Christ is the same as the person sitting next to you who's in Christ. Right? And everyone's destiny in Christ is the same. Okay? So when you're looking for a purpose, it's the same purpose as the person who's sitting next to you whose identity is also in Christ. How you influence is different. How you live out that purpose is different based on your personality, your giftings, your education, your family background, all the things that make you you, that's when you influence. Okay, and that's what happened in Nehemiah chapter three. He begins to influence and begins to influence in his specific way and he calls people to influence in their specific way. And remember Nehemiah chapter three is a list of names, right? It's a whole list of names and they're all influencing and it says at one point in there, the goldsmiths, and everyone from the goldsmiths to the perfumers, right? We talked about that, right? And, and how there's different people influencing in their own way. There's a goldsmith making it look pretty. There's a perfumer making it smell good. I don't know. Like, they're all doing it in their own way. And they're living out their destiny, and they're influencing. And today, in chapter 4, we're going to talk about growth. Because what happens out of this is growth. And God wants us to discover growth. He wants you to discover growth. He wants our church to discover growth this year. Um, but in order for that to happen, healing has to happen if we want to see growth. And that's what's about to happen here in chapter 4. Healing is about to happen. And, and, and growth, guys, think of growth not in quantity. Right? Think of growth in, as in progress. Right? You're here today, and tomorrow you're going to be here. That's step forward. So that when you look back in three years, you're like, wow, I made a lot of healthy progress. Right? So think in terms of progress. That's what we're talking about when we say growth. So that applies to spiritual growth. That applies to physical growth. We don't need to dichotomize those two, because healthy things grow. So that's what we're talking about today. So let's, let's jump into chapter four here. Uh, Missy read... <clears throat> The, the, first, the first section of it, we're actually going through the end of chapter 4 through 23. Um, <clears throat> so starting in verse 7, it says, But when Sanballat 
and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, right? Like it's moving, it's progressing. And that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. Okay, they're not telling us something we already didn't know. We know that they're angry. They've been jeering at uh, the people of God. They've been ridiculing them. They've been mocking them. They've been trying to distract them. They've been prevent preventing them from doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, so we know that they're angry, but now they see it progressing, so they're, they're very angry now. They're even more angry. And this, the, the phrase here, the breaches were beginning to be closed, is derived from a Hebrew expression that means that they are basically bandaging the wall. It means that they're healing it with bandages. That's like where the, where the expression is derived from. So picture that. That... They're repairing the wall, and in repairing, you know, you can think fixing, but they're healing it. They're healing what was once a physical manifestation and symbol of their destiny, of their identity, and they're mending it and putting it back together. They're filling in the cracks that were in their identity and their destiny. Remember, the walls were shattered. They were burnt down. It was rubble, and now they're putting it back together because they recognize those cracks in their identity and their destiny. And they're stepping forward into healing, and they're doing it together, guys. They're doing it together. Our next series through February is called Discover Together, and we're going to go through what that means for the church. But, but note here that they're doing it together. Even though one person is living out their destiny here and one person next to them is living out in this way, they're doing, they're, they're working on the same thing. They're building the same wall. They're healing the same structure that represents something physical for them, and that's their destiny. Okay? So <clears throat> they're all healing here, and in order for, for them to grow and progress forward, that healing needs to happen. For, for us guys, for you sitting here this morning, if you want to progress in your life in any Form, healing needs to happen. Those cracks that are in your identity, those cracks that are in your destiny, those cracks that are in your personality, those cracks that are in your character have to be healed and have to be mended if you want to progress in a healthy way moving forward. You have to seek healing there. And guys, the beautiful part of this is, this is the people of God. Just, just like in this room, most of the people in here are the people of God. And we get to seek healing together. We get to heal each other. We get to carry one another's burdens. We get to forgive one another. We get to love one another. We get to correct one another. We get to rebuke one another. We get to serve one another. All these one another's in the New Testament, right? We get to do life together. And that leads to healing. Remember that. Right? This, this place here, the gathering, not this building necessarily, but this gathering is a gathering of healing. And so we're, we want to welcome you into that this morning. If there's cracks, and odds are you have cracks somewhere in, in there. We all do. I'd help to ask the Lord to identify them for you so that you can start, start the healing process, so that we can discover growth together, because that's what's about to happen. So they're very angry. Verse 8, and they all plotted together. So, you, so, guys, they all plotted how? 
together. The enemy's together. You see that? The enemy is plotting together, so we need to be together. Oh, guys, there's so much disunity and discord that happens in churches, and the enemy's out there, and they're together. And they're just picking us off one by one. We have to stay together, because they're plotting together right now to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion. And a confusion is one of the greatest enemies of the church, uh, the spirit of confusion. We have rebuked in our church over and over again because that, that, uh, this, the confusion is just one of the greatest enemies. Like, uh, even now I'm probably saying something, and you're, you may be interpreting it in the wrong, wrong way. That's the spirit of confusion, perhaps. Like, so here, they, that's what the enemy is trying to do here in this passage. They are trying to confuse, because they know if they cause confusion, they're just going to turn on one another. Right? They don't have to do that. They're just going to turn on one another. And so what, what does Nehemiah do? Two very practical things. Verse 9, he says, we prayed. We prayed to our God, and we set a guard as protection against them day and night. So they did, they did two things here. They prayed. Guys, uh, I've been around a, a few movement leaders from around the world. Like, and when I say movement leaders, these, these men and women, they're leading movements of hundreds of thousands of people where you can tie those baptisms back to them. Like, they're leading movements. And, and I was in a room one time when someone asked them, well, base, I can't remember how the phrase it was, basically like, hey, what's your secret? Like, how, how is this happening in your country where you guys are oppressed and people are killing you and, and, and uh, there's so much persecution, you can't be out in the open and all this stuff? And, and they said, we pray. And the guy was like, no, but like, what do you do? And he's like, oh, we pray. He's like, no, but like, is there something? He's like, well, we pray. <laughs> and it was like, oh my gosh, guys. Prayer is the most powerful weapon we have. It undergirds everything. If we're not a praying church, we're not a church. Yeah, yeah, there we go, right? Guys, we have to be praying. We have to be praying. Like, prayer is, is key. And, and this is coming from someone who struggles with prayer. And you're like, wait, you're our pastor. Uh, <laughs> Prayer is not my go-to spiritual discipline. Reading the Bible is. Um, prayer is not like, it does not come naturally for me. And you're like, but you talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but sitting still is not something I do very often. So it's, it's, it can be tough for me. So I've had, to like, I've had to be disciplined in prayer and teach myself how to pray in different environments and, and all these things. Um, and so, this is, so I'm saying that because you might be sitting there and you're like, oh, I hear prayer, but it's so hard for me. I'm like, man, yes, yes, I get it. I, I understand that. Um, and I feel you in that and I empathize with you in that. That doesn't make it less crucial for your life. You need to be in constant conversation with God. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without, pray without what? Ceasing. Ceasing. Do not cease when you're praying. I pray all the time. What is, Henry, Henry now says, what is prayer but a, but a constant redemption of your thoughts? Do you ever stop thinking? Sometimes you do. <laughs> I've seen the decisions you make. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. uh, 
you know, you never stop thinking, so redeem those thoughts for the Lord. Prayer is a constant awareness that whatever you do, God's presence is with you if you're a follower of Jesus. Wherever you go, man, that would change your life. You wouldn't be stuck in that habitual sin if you were constantly aware of the Lord's presence in your life. You wouldn't do that anymore. You wouldn't talk like that anymore. Right? And that's what prayer is. Paul's like, just bring God with you everywhere you go. Pray without ceasing. He doesn't mean hold yourself up in a room and do that. Don't become a monk. Uh, you can do that if you want, but he's not saying that. Um, he's saying just go wherever you go and take the Lord with you. So prayer. Nehemiah does prayer. And the second thing he does is he, he seeks protection. They set a guard and they protect day and night. They don't stop. Guys, some of you guys, you pick up your faith here, and you live it out here, and then you put it down, and you don't live it out here. Work is here. Faith is here. Family is here. Faith is here. Church is here. I was telling someone this morning, this is not church. We are the church. We're not, we're not doing church this morning. If you came here to check something off your list and this is church for you, like, that's not what it is. Church happens out there, guys. The church is the missionary to the world. Like, when you're in your workplace, that's where church is supposed to be happening. You're supposed to be the church there, right? Now, we get to come here and we get to worship and we get to, we get to have fun with Jesus and we get to celebrate and we get to, like, like bring you guys up and, and like, give you a pep talk and then send you out in the world, right? That's what this is for. So... Um, they did this day and night. They sought protection. They were vigilant day and night. Vigilance is all, you can trace the theme of vigilance all through the scriptures. They were watchful. They were vigilant. They never slept. Right? They were always on the watch. They were always on the lookout for opportunities. They were always on the lookout for the enemy. Not in a fearful way, we're going to see, but, but they knew that they needed to do a couple practical things. Pray and then seek protection. Guys, some of you guys lean more towards prayer, and you lean away from the practical and, and the physical, right? Uh, but the spiritual and the physical go hand in hand. They prayed as if it all depended on God, and they worked as if it all depended on them. That's a quote from Luther, Augustine, we can trace it all through the church fathers. Like, pray your hearts out, but also work your hearts out, right? God is in the physical, too. Do not falsely dichotomize those two things. The spiritual and the physical go together together, and they're both practical outworkings of this plan that Nehemiah is putting into place. So then he says in verse 10, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear, okay, so here's the thing, before I keep on reading, um, if progress is happening and going to happen, if growth is going to happen, resistance is going to happen. Right? We've been seeing that through this passage, resistance. The switch here in this verse is that resistance has moved from external to internal. Okay? He says, in Judah, this is being said. The people of God are saying this. The other Jews are saying this. Okay, They're saying the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. They're like, we're, we're too weak. There's too much rubble. There's too much work. By ourselves, we won't be able to rebuild the wall. We can't do it on our own. 
Guys, internal resistance is, is tough. Um, in my opinion, internal resistance is more dangerous than external resistance. But when something progresses, you're always going to get some form, of, some form of resistance. And here, that's happening internally, and the people are crumbling. And, and, and guys, the, the question here isn't, well, is this true? Are the people, is their strength failing? Is there too much rubble? It's not, the question isn't whether it's true or false, okay? Because if it's, if it's true, what those people have done is they've just sowed their seeds of discord, disunity, disgust, anger, weakness into everybody else. And they assumed everybody else felt the same way they did. And oftentimes it's a small, okay, before I go there, and if it's false, well now it's just lies and deceit and falsehood, and that'll break apart the whole people, right? But we don't need to go into that because they're just statements. And what you see is statements of a problem without a solution. They're just complaining. And what do we see the people of God always doing in the scriptures? Complaining. They're not offering solutions. They're saying, this is too much for us. We can't do this. And, they, and oftentimes when this happens, internal resistance, you have a small group of people or person who, who think they know best for the whole group and they project their weaknesses onto the entire group. And you have a small group of people who say, well, we hear God the best, so we're going we're gonna to project this on everybody else. And guys, that's really... It's really deceptive. And here, it's the beginnings of a disease. That's what internal resistance is. Think about a body of Christ, you know, a physical body. That's happening on the inside. It's a disease, right? It's hard to, like, it's hard to fight those cells that are diseased. It's almost easy to fight things externally, right? because you could see it coming, but you don't know what's going on in here. It's subversive, it's deceptive, it's under the surface, it's, it's people in hiddenness, right? It's people, uh, when we were praying against that this morning, right? Cassandra brought that up and Misty brought that up, praying against hiddenness in our church. It's, it's, it's people who are in the shadows. As, as Luke says, it's people who dwell in the darkness, and darkness is their, their comfort, it says. It's their peace. It's their, it's their warm blanket. And that's what's happening. They're, they're internally resisting. So um, uh, for us as a church, we're only six years old. And each year, we have steadily grown and progressed. Each year in a very healthy way. Um, we actually prayed at the beginning that our church wouldn't just explode in growth because we wanted to go healthy and stuff. Now, church explosion doesn't happen very much in, in uh, Canada and Toronto, uh, so it was a pretty safe prayer. Um, <laughs> unless you're talking about they die, like explode, well, they're dead. Um, that happens a lot. Um, but but uh, we wanted to grow steadily and healthily in, in, a very, in, a, in a way that we progressed in growth in a healthy way. And each year that that's happened, we face some form of internal resistance. And I never understand when this happens, why, why people just want to 
get other people to believe how they believe, when they want to multiply their discord and their disunity. I never understand why people don't just say, I need help, and I want to help, and I want to be part of this body, and I want to make it better. I want to heal. I don't, I don't ever understand why that happens. Um, and we say, we want your voice in here. We want you to be in here with us. We want you to, to help us do this. And, and people just get so, I don't know, they're, they're stuck in here. They're like, everything's falling apart. We can't do this. We're overcome, and we're going to blame it all on you, and everything's going to, you know, and they're going to just project out onto the whole, the whole thing, and they forget that this is a family, and we're here to heal each other. I have a mentor. Uh, his name's David Campbell, uh, and <clears throat> he said to me one time, this was maybe last year or two years ago, I can't remember, when something like this was happening in our church, and, and he's like, hey, this isn't really going to help you, but hey, um, you know, some people... Uh, when, they, when they leave the pool, the pool meaning the church, he said when they leave the pool, they're not just content to leave, they want to pee in the pool on the way out. <laughs> and I started laughing, and, and I was like, hey, David, I can handle a little pee. I just feel like when someone wants to take a dump in the pool. <laughs> he started laughing. And I was like, because that's what it feels like. I'm like, why do you have to ruin it for everybody else? If you want to leave, just leave. Like, don't ruin it for everybody else. Because what, what you have here, uh, in the pool analogy anyways, is you have a group of people, they didn't dig the hole for the pool, they didn't lay the foundation for the pool, they didn't put any of the water in the pool, they didn't make sure the temperature was right and the chlorine level was exact for the pool, they've just been enjoying the water in the pool. And when the temperature changes a half a degree this way, or a half a degree that way, or a little bit too many people are in the pool, they freak out, and they leave, and they want to take a dump in it on the way out. Guys, don't do that. Guys, there are severe consequences for thwarting the purposes of God. And I don't want that for you. We're here to heal. We're here to be a place where, where we can build the wall together and fill in the cracks. And if you say there's a crack in the church, help us heal it. And if you say, I can't, I, I, just, I just can't, my strength is failing, we say, we're going to help carry your burdens because we want you to have healing. We don't just cut you off and say, well, you're, you're dead to us. So don't say that to us. We want you to walk forward in healing with us. And guys, internal resistance here, this is just one verse in this passage, and there's, like, it could ruin the whole thing. And in verse 11 it says, and in addition, our enemies said this. So Nehemiah's like, we got it inside. Now our enemies said this. They weren't our enemies. These are our brothers and sisters saying this, right? These are the ones we love saying this. Now our enemies who hate us are saying this. They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Guys, that's why I say it's a little, it's like, it's, it's almost better externally because you can see it coming, right? Because these guys are like, hey, we're going to stop you guys. And Nehemiah's like, well, how? And they're like, mm, are we going to kill you? <laughs> like, it's like really straightforward. It's just like, yeah, we're just going to kill you. And we're not going to be subversive and hide around in the dark. No, we're just going to come in here and we're going to kill everybody. Like, Nehemiah's like, okay, I got a plan for that. Like, I, I know how to deal with that. That's, that's easy. Like, I, I can deal with that. And we're going to see how he does it. 
So he does a few things here. Uh, verse 12 just talks about how they have enemies from all directions. And in verse 13, here's his plan. He says, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I station the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So he put them in the right place, right? He stations them in a specific place. He puts, the right pe- he puts them with the right people. He stations the people by their clans, by their groups, by their families, and he gives them the right provisions. Here's your swords, your spears, and your bows. That's his plan. He's like, right place, with the right people, with the right provisions. And I looked and arose. So uh, just real quick, like, nothing spectacular there. I mean, nothing like totally like, out of the ordinary, right? He's just like, yeah, that makes sense. You move here, you move here, and I'm going to give you this, and we're going we're gonna to protect ourselves. Verse 14, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. That should remind you of something else in the scriptures. You, you hear like, do not fear all the time, but it's, it's Joshua saying, be strong and courageous in Joshua 1, three times, right? Be strong and courageous. The Lord's saying, only be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. And Cindy brought this up when we were praying this morning. Guys, we had an awesome time of prayer this morning before the, before the service. Um, and I just want to encourage you guys, if we're going to be a praying church, we have to pray for the church. And, and church for us starts not at 10.30, starts at, well, prayer starts at 9, but people are here at 8.30. So sometimes it starts at 8.30. But uh, it starts at 9 when we're praying. So come out, come out and pray, because we prayed for so many of these things. I was like really amazed uh, the things that we were praying for and the things that uh, they brought to Kyle and Vanny's mind and Cindy and, and Cassandra and the things that they were praying over our church, um, not having heard the sermon yet. Uh, and, and this is something that, that Cindy was praying over us, that we would remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember that word awesome is the same word from chapter one of Nehemiah? And that isn't like, oh, God's awesome, like, he's cool. It's, it's God is awesome, he's terrible. Like, not he's terrible, like he's horrible, like bad. He is frightening. Like, we should fear him. Hey, and he's saying, if there's anybody to fear here, it's not those guys with their swords, it's the Lord Almighty. And guess what? He's on our side. <laughs> They're like, he's with us, guys. He's on our side. How amazing is that? And, and you he, have here this people who are like, our strength is failing. And it reminds me of Paul in, and, in, the, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, the Lord says this to him, and Paul's recounting this story of his faith. The, the Lord, no, it's not, it's 2 Corinthians 12, I think. Anyways, it's in the Corinthian letters. So um, the, the Lord says to him, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. That's all you need is my grace. All you need is me with you. And he says, my power is made perfect in weakness. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. 
guys, oh, how amazing is that? Like the reality of those, those things that they're saying is, uh, uh, or the truth of it is, yeah, um, your strength is failing. Yes, there is too much work. There's too much rubble. Yes, you cannot rebuild the wall by yourself. Those are actually true statements. When we put them in Christ, his power is made perfect in that weakness. His grace is sufficient for you. Say that to your neighbor this morning. His grace is sufficient for you. Guys, amen. His grace is sufficient for you. That's amazing. That's the truth of the scriptures this morning that you just blessed the other person with. Whether you believe it or not, you may be in a spot where you like don't believe that, right? Still receive that blessing. Because if that's true, how amazing is that? Right? His grace is sufficient for you this morning. So here <clears throat> we have the Lord who is great and awesome. And, and then he says, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. And from that day on, and you have the next, the next verses saying, from that day on, we worked like this. So that plan worked, guys. The enemies were like, oh, shoot, our plan didn't work. Um, and they went back to rebuilding the wall. And some, throughout these verses, says some, we built it with weapon in one hand and a tool in the other hand, or, or building materials in the other hand. Some had a sword on their side, because they were ready, day and night, the protection, right? They were ready, and some were working with both hands. They had some who didn't have a weapon, and some were standing next to them with weapons on guard. They had, they had some who just had trumpets, right, to, to blow the horn so that when they blew the horn, everyone would gather to that spot. They, had, they have all these people working in all these stations, in different ways, all living out their destiny in a different way. But they're all doing the same thing. And God gave them everything to accomplish that. Guys, in living out our identity and destiny in Christ, God isn't asking us to do something he hasn't already done. Because those things are hard. They're difficult to live out those things in this world. And this world is distracting, it's debilitating, it's anxious, anxiety-filled, it's, and all it's trying to do is, is get us. Right? The world doesn't want what we have. The world is against everything you believe in if you're a follower of Jesus. And this is like a refuge from the world, you know, where we get to gather together and, and we get to remind each other to remember the Lord. And it's hard to live out our identity and our destiny. But again, God isn't asking us to do something he hasn't already done. He's given us everything we need to accomplish it. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17, The Lord is speaking, God is speaking, the Lord God, and he says, he basically looks around, and he's like, there's nobody to intercede here. He sees the injustice in the world, and he's like, there's nobody here to intercede. There's nobody to make this better. So it says, it says, by his own arm, 
he brought, uh, he brought uh, strength. And it says that his own righteousness upheld him. And it says, for, for a breastplate, he put on righteousness. And it says, for a helmet, he put on salvation. And Paul picks up on this in three, in three places in the New Testament. And we're praying this over our church this morning. Cassandra brought it up. And Missy brought it up actually earlier this week. Ephesians chapter 6. He says, finally, in verse 10, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Have his strength. Because the, the devil's out there. He's the prince, the power of this air. We have rulers and authorities. Our battles are against flesh and blood. It's against these principalities. It's against the schemes of the enemy, the schemes of the devil. And he's like, be strong in the Lord and put on the full armor of God. He says, for righteousness, do what? Put on this breastplate. It's your righteousness. This is Isaiah 59. Put on the, the helmet of salvation. For a sword, you have the Spirit. We often interpret the sword of the Spirit as, as the, the Word of God, and that's not untrue. It's just not the full truth. The sword is the Spirit who wrote this book, but the sword is the Spirit. Oh, guys, that's, that's amazing. Right? Your shield is what? Faith. Your belt is what? Truth. And your feet are peace. The good news of peace. That's also referenced to Isaiah. Guys, that is the full armor of God that you have access to. Kyle was praying this this morning. He said, help us be a church that recognizes that we already have victory that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, right? Like, that's the church. That's who we are, that we are the hope of the world. In Romans 13, Paul talks about this again. He says, he says besides this, you know the time. The, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light because salvation is nearer to us today than when we first believed. Cast off the works of darkness, put on the full armor of light. And then he says a few verses later, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we're wearing. That's the armor of God. He did it. He became the breastplate of righteousness. He became the helmet of salvation. He became the shield of faith. He became the sword of the spirit. He became all those things, the gospel of peace, the belt of truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? That's what he says. He became all those things. He is the full armor of God. Put on Jesus Christ. And 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, and it's going to be on the screen for you guys. I'm going to read the whole thing here, and we're going to close. It says, verse 1, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, this is Romans 13, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying there's peace and security. You can add comfort to that. Like, there's so many things. Like, that, that, that's a picture of our society, right? Oh, everything's great here, peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. They will not escape. But, verse 4, 
You are not in darkness, brothers and sisters. You are not in darkness. For that day to surprise you like a thief. But this is who you are. This is your identity in Christ. You are all children of light. Children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, because of that, as a result, so then, let us not sleep. You know, in Romans 13, he says, awake from your slumber. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober, be watchful, be vigilant. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night. Guys, we're not supposed to be sleeping because we are in the day. He says those who sleep, they sleep in the darkness. You're not in the darkness anymore. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. Bad stuff happens in the night. That's what he's saying here. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. So, so here Paul redefines righteousness as faith and love. Why, why do you think he does that? Because we have Christ's righteousness and his righteousness was manifested in a demonstration of God's love, Romans 5.8, on the cross of Christ. That's how he loved us, right? And Ephesians 2 says what? 2, 8, and 9. Anyone know that? By what are we saved? Through what? Faith. So he redefines it here on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us, there's that word, right? He has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus. Guys, that is such a beautiful verse. I feel like as a church sometimes, we, we communicate wrath, but he hasn't destined us for that, has he? He's destined us for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Say that to your neighbor. He's destined you for salvation. Through Jesus, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another. Guys, the therefore out of this, the therefore is, because of all that, encourage one another. It's not, it's not therefore, go sell everything you have, you know, and, and live in poverty and go be a monk. He just says, hey, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing, which is what you just did. Building one another up. And the last few verses, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. That, that verse refers to, to our leaders, right? Um, that's a whole other sermon uh, that that I'll preach, that'll sound really self-serving if I do. <laughs> Respect those who labor among you. Verse 13, and esteem them very highly because of their work. And be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. Don't complain. Don't sow seeds of discord. Be at peace. And we urge you, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Guys, that idol is, is from, admonishing the idol is, is 
that group we talked about last week that isn't doing anything. You have a group who's working, a group who is uh, in opposition, a group who isn't doing anything. He doesn't say cut them off. He says admonish them and be patient with them. Be long-suffering with them. Encourage the faint-hearted. Don't stomp them out. Encourage them. Bring them to healing. We're a community of healing. Help those who are weak. And verse 15, see that no one prays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice when? Always. Rejoice when? Always. always. That's a picture of the body of Christ. Do you rejoice always? You just rejoice sometimes. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in which circumstances? All. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then he says, do not quench the Holy Spirit right after that. That's the will of God. You want to know the will of God for your life? He just, he just told us. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Don't repay evil for evil. Always seek to do good. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for that is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's the will of God right there. Guys, if you're not living that out, don't ask what God wants you to do specifically with your life. Start here. Ask God to show you how to do this in your life, and then he'll show you how to influence. But if you don't rejoice always, you need to go back and start here. If you don't give thanks in all circumstances, go back and start here. If you don't pray without ceasing, start doing that. If you don't repay, if, if you repay evil for evil, stop doing that. Like, do the will of God that's written here in this book, in this Bible, in this word of God, and then you can ask God for more things. He says, be faithful in the small things, and then he'll give you big things, right? So as a church, we want to be a church just like that. We want to be a church that, that lives out the will of God, and that starts where we know for certain what the will of God is. We know that the will of God is that all people come to hear the truth. So we want to be people who share our faith. We know the will of God is all these things. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. It's why we're a church that works in the poorest area in our city. We want to help the weak. We want to help the faint-hearted. That's, it's, why we meet in this, it's why our church started six years ago in Regent Park. It's why our church is now in St. Jamestown. As we want to be a church that is like this, living out the will of God. So as we move forward in progression and growth in a healthy way, as we fill in those cracks in our identity and our destiny individually, but also as a church, let's do that together in healing. To the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We... We're just not worthy of you. And you are so patient. When I read that verse in Thessalonians, and I see myself, I see me as the faint-hearted one, as, as the weak one, as the, the idle one, as the one who needs admonishment, as the one who needs encouragement, as the one who needs to be built up. I see our church as that which is why we want to be a place where we're healing the cracks, not making more cracks in the wall. And so this time is your time, Lord Jesus. 
by the power of your spirit to do what you want to do. And so we give this time to you as we respond in song and communion and prayer. We give this time to you, Lord Jesus. So heal our cracks and make us more like you in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.